But we come now in our time together to the preaching of the Word of God. And this is a special moment when the people of God gather together where God addresses us through His Word. Week by week, as God's Word is faithfully handled, God speaks to His church through His Word, and He intends to do that today. And so let's ask for His help together. Let's ask for ears to hear this morning and the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come today to worship You. You are the fairest of all. You are the Lord of lords. You are the King of kings. And your name is above every name. Lord, we give you the highest praise. None can compare to you. You are the one seated at the right hand of the Father even now, Lord. And your word says that you are reigning until you make your enemies a footstool under your feet. Your word tells us that you're reigning and that you're making intercession for all of your saints. That you live forever to intercede for us, even now. And Lord, your word says that you are the one at the Father's right hand who pours out the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, on all, on all you will. And every one of us in this room this morning are needy. We're needy, Lord. We need magnificent reminders today of eternity, of the value of our souls, of the glory of Christ, of the beauty of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would be faithful to give us what is needed. Lord, we pray for the church today that you would strengthen our faith, that you would minister assurance to us. And Lord, we pray for our visiting friends gathered with us this morning that you would be pleased, Lord Jesus, to baptize them with the Holy Spirit, to give them a new heart. Lord, just like you told that little girl, Tabitha, I say to you, arise. And she got up, Lord. God, we pray that you would demonstrate your life-giving power in our midst. And even today, God, that you would be pleased to to draw and call sinners to yourself and give them eternal life. Lord, do it for your own glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And in the next few minutes, we're about to read the most important words that you're going to hear in this sermon. We're about to read the Word of God together. And that's fundamentally different than the rest of the sermon because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's breathed out by God without error. This is God's Word to us. So let's give ear this morning as we read it together, the first 14 verses of Matthew 22. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. 
and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Verse 5, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is God's word to Grace Community Church this morning. And I want to encourage you to lean in and let's try to understand it. Let's try to understand it in such a way that we would know what God is calling us to do from this passage. I want to begin with a word about the context of this parable. Verse 1 tells us, that Jesus is speaking to them again in a parable. Now the them there goes back to chapter 21, verse 23, and Jesus is speaking to the chief priest and the elders of the people. He's speaking to them in parables, and he's, and verse 1 tells us he's speaking to them again in parables. And just as a reminder, this is Passion Week, the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And after Palm Sunday and that glorious entrance into the holy city in Jerusalem, Jesus enters into these rounds of conflict with these leaders. They question his authority, and Jesus begins to speak to them in parables of judgment. The first was the parable of the two sons. And Jesus tells these men that prostitutes will go into the kingdom before you. Serious words from the Son of God. Then we come to the second parable of judgment, the parable of the tenants. This is earlier in the previous chapter in which Jesus compares these Leaders to these tenant farmers who murder the son and the heir so that they can have the vineyard. 
And Jesus says that they're going to be put to a miserable death. And then we come again to our third parable. Our text this morning, another parable of judgment, the parable of the wedding feast. Now, for several weeks, we have drawn your attention into this theme in these chapters. And I don't want you to miss it. Christ has come and he's about to finish his earthly ministry. And part of what is highlighted in Matthew's gospel, especially of the final week of the life of Jesus Christ, is that he has come to bring salvation. And we're going to see that as the gospel ends in his crucifixion and his resurrection. But Jesus also has come to bring judgment. And these chapters, maybe more clearly than any other chapters in Matthew's gospel, show us that Jesus has come and he's pronouncing a curse on these leaders of Israel. I don't want you to miss how prominent that theme is. It may surprise you. Four chapters of Matthew's gospel are almost totally devoted to this theme of Christ bringing judgment. Four chapters. Matthew 21, 22, 23, and 24, we see Jesus in conflict. Jesus pronouncing judgment. Well, our text this morning, he enters into another round of that conflict with another parable of judgment. He tells a parable about a king who throws a wedding feast for his son. Now, I'll just mention this briefly. This parable, the characters, their analogies, they stand for other truths. That's what a parable does. It illustrates something else. And in this parable, the king character stands for God the Father. And the son character stands for Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. A king who throws a wedding feast for his son. And what that means for us this morning is that this story that Jesus tells, this parable that Jesus preaches, it gives us a little glimpse into this coming day where the servants of Jesus Christ will enjoy table fellowship with the Son of God. We will join Jesus at his wedding banquet. We will join Jesus at a marriage feast. Revelation 19 names this feast the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what this parable points us to this morning. And so the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now just notice how fitting that is. If you're the king, all the resources are yours, all the, all the riches, all the power is yours, and your beloved son is about to get married, how fitting is it that the king would provide a wedding feast for his beloved son? Of course he would. And not only that, how fitting is it for a king to call all his subjects to come celebrate with him of the wedding feast of his beloved son. Of course he would invite them to come. That they would honor the son. 
And that's exactly what the king did. He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Now from here, this parable breaks down into four different scenes. And this is how we're going to move through it together this morning. In scene one, we see that the invitation of the king, the invitation of the feast is rejected. In scene two, we see the king's response to that rejection. It's a response of indignation and judgment. And then in scene three, we see that the invitation to the feast is redirected to another group. It's rebroadcast. And then in scene four, we see that the king excludes an imposter from this wedding banquet, from this wedding feast. It's just a brief outline of where we're headed this morning. Let's lean in and hear the word of God. Verse three says that the king sends his servants to call those who were invited But then we get those four words in verse 3. They would not come. Invited by the king, Matthew says, but they would not come. And what we're going to see in this parable is that this is not an excused absence. Like all those times where you were you know supposed to be somewhere and you weren't but you had a good reason for why you weren't there and you had an excused absence what we're going to see in this parable is that when they when they would not come this was an unexcused absence from the wedding feast it's an absence that the king takes personal look at how many times in verse 4 he uses the singular per, uh, possessive pronoun my he says it three times my feast my oxen my fattened calf that's what you're refusing you're refusing to come to my dinner they haven't refused to come to the feast of some insignificant figure this is jesus's point in this parable they refuse to come to the feast of the king the ruler You see, when a king gives an invitation, it's not just an invitation. It also carries the sense of a command. When the king invites you, you come. Therefore, to scorn a royal invitation is an act of rebellion. And that's exactly what these refusers do. They are in rebellion against the king because, verse 3, they would not come. Now, one of the things just on the front end that you need to learn from this parable is this. When the king says come, you should come. When the king invites you, you get to come. It's a privilege. You get to come, but you also must come. When he says come, you should come. That's one of the simple truths of this passage. And what you're going to see is devastating consequences of getting that wrong. They have refused the invitation. But notice how gracious the king is and how persistent the king is. He pleads with them and he invites them again. There's actually two rounds here. 
It's almost as though the king says, oh, there must be some misunderstanding. This is, did, they, did they understand this was my feast for my son? Go tell him again. And look at verse 4. Look at how sweet these words are. Everything is ready. That's how gracious the king is. Everything is ready. You don't have to bring anything. I've prepared it all. This is my feast. Everything is ready. Just come. Everything is done. Just come. Come to the wedding feast. Come to honor my son. That's grace. To those who have rebelled against him. Calling attention to everything being ready. The king is calling attention to everything that he's already done. That he's already provided for them. Look at the feast that I've provided. Everything is ready. And by drawing attention to all that the king has done. It only heightens the sense of betrayal when they reject him. When they reject him. Verse 5 again. Round 1, they would not come. Verse 5 says, round 2, they paid no attention. Matthew tells us that some went off to handle the, the farm and some went off to handle you know, their other worldly business. Matthew tells us that some were so enraged that they persecute the servants of the king who deliver the invitation. But none in this group paid any attention to the invitation of the king. They had no fear of the king and they did not love him. Therefore, they paid no attention to his invitation. Think of the privilege this morning of being invited to a royal banquet. I mean of the most powerful, rich, uh, earthly ruler there is. And he sends you a handwritten invitation and says, everything is ready, come. What a privilege that would be. I grew up in... Pearl, Mississippi, and that's one of those stories where you go back and tell your buddies, you will not believe what I just got invited to. The banquet of a king. What a privilege. And then, jumping out of the parable and thinking about what the parable points us to, folks, I want you to understand the unthinkable, immeasurable privilege of being invited to the feast of all feasts. The marriage supper of the Lamb. God the Father's celebratory wedding banquet for His beloved Son. What a privilege. And then think of how that privilege just continues to multiply when you begin to think that you were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, not because you belong there, not because you deserve it, but because the King is rich and generous and full of grace. There's not a person in this room that could calculate or measure that privilege. It's incalculable. And then, 
Think about the progression. Imagine the degree of guilt that those incur who spurn the invitation to the wedding feast of the Son of God, the King of Kings. Try to put a number to that guilt. Try to calculate how guilty it would be for one to be to be invited to the marriage supper of the lamb the feast that will end all feast i mean the glorious feast every meal that you have ever enjoyed in your life every thanksgiving every dessert your favorite food every time you ate it that's just a little glimpse of this feast that's the shadow this is the substance This is the one that all the other feasts point towards and you were invited and think of the guilt you you would incur if your response was to pay no attention. For the most valuable invitation that you've ever received hand delivered to you and you see it as devaluable as scrap paper. They paid no attention to the king. This will be the response of many on the final day. Some earthly task thought more important than responding to the message of the gospel. Many will pay no attention. There will be many who hear the invitation and could care less about Jesus Christ. And folks, that's how deep our sin runs. If you've ever wondered how bad are we and what evidence do you have of that, one of the saddest things of our fallen condition and our depravity is our blindness. That you could set the riches of the kingdom The fairest of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, right in front of us in our lost state. The most valuable thing that there ever could be. And in that condition, we see no beauty. We see no value. We see no riches. We're blind. C.S. Lewis compared that to a child who makes mud pies Instead of uh, choosing this vacation on this beautiful beach that we're far too easily pleased. We don't see the true value of eternity, of Jesus Christ. It's part of our condition that we should lament that we're broken to the very core. We are broken. This happens every Sunday in local churches all across the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is heralded. The glory of Jesus is preached. And there are those who pay no attention. What's for lunch? That's the question rolling through their mind. How about them bulldogs? Got to get home and cut the grass this afternoon. Man, I hadn't checked Twitter in 25 minutes. 
And all the other million different ways that the gospel can be ignored, that the very message of the kingdom can, can, can go into your ears and you pay no attention. And we can learn from this parable that the most dangerous place your soul can ever be is when you are paying no attention to the word of God. When you hear it like elevator music, like background noise, danger, red lights need to be going off in your mind and in your soul. Danger, I'm ignoring the word of the Lord. I'm comfortable right now. I don't tremble at God's word. Danger, danger, danger. It will always be true that your relationship with the Bible will be directly related to your relationship with the living God. The Bible is God's word. Ignore the Bible. Ignore God. Indifferent to the Bible. Indifferent to to God. Bored with the Bible. Bored with God. Tremble at the Bible. Tremble at God. Obey the Bible. Obey God. Honor the Bible. Honor God. Not believe the Bible. Disbelief of God. It's always... It's always connected. It's a dangerous place to be bored and indifferent and to devalue the word of God, especially the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this parable, there are those who pay no attention. And I just want to exhort you this morning. Don't let this be you today. Get serious, maybe for the first time in your entire life. Some of you in here, the only thing that anybody knows about you is that you're the biggest jokester there is. I mean, it would be easier to rip one of your legs off than it would be for you to get sober for just a second, serious for just a second, and consider your soul. Don't let this be you. The invitation to the banquet... And pay no attention. The king, I want to say this as clearly as I can. And we'll come back in a minute and I'll say it again. The king has invited you to a wedding feast for his son. What will you do, friend? How will you respond to that invitation? How will you respond to the word of God? The next scene shows us the king's response to those who refuse his offer, to those who reject the invitation. Verse 7 tells us that the king was angry and he destroyed them and burned their city. Now, some believe that this is a prophecy that was fulfilled in 70 AD when the Romans sacked the city of Jerusalem. That Jesus is prophesying judgment upon the Jews, judgment upon these leaders. And if that is the case, then the king's troops in this parable stand for the Roman army that God's going to send and sack that city. And there are many places in the Old Testament where God uses pagan rulers, men that do not know him, Cyrus, Nebuchadnezzar, pagan rulers to execute his judgments. 
And that's just a literal reminder of how powerful our God is. He's the King of Kings. Ryan prayed it this morning. He rules over all the kingdoms of men. Like it or not, know him or not, he is your ruler. And the fact that he can use pagan armies to execute his judgments just highlights his power, his sovereign power. And it reminds us that he is the potter and we are the clay. He is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. Now, the fact that the judgment comes in scene two after scene one gives us a glimpse into the king's patience. And, and, this, and this signifies God's patience. And so scene two comes after scene one. In, this, in the parable, the servants of the king that are sent to give that invitation, they stand for God's faithful witnesses that God has sent to bear witness to this nation. And I was surprised by this, you know, studying this this week of how many times the Bible draws attention to this very point that God was faithful to send the prophets, that God was faithful to send his servants in every generation over and over and over to warn them of coming judgment. I'm going to read a few of these. Jeremiah 26, verse 4. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law that I have set before you, and listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you urgently, Though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. That note is, is sounded ten times or more in the Old Testament. I'll give you another example of this in Chronicles chapter 36. Now the interesting thing about this verse is the order of the Hebrew Bible is different than the English order of the Bible. And so the interesting thing about this verse is 2 Chronicles was actually the very last words of the Old Testament. And, and, and one of the very last things that God says to Israel in the last chapter of the Old Testament is 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 15. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers... Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people and until there was no remedy. And we're warned about this in Scripture that God is faithful to bear witness to His truth, to bear witness to His gospel. And every time we hear it and we ignore it, we're storing up wrath for the day of wrath. God is slow to anger, but every time He sends a witness and every time we hear that truth and that glorious gospel, we're provoking the God who is slow to anger to exercise His holy wrath. One more verse in Matthew 23, verse 34, Jesus says this. 
Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify. And some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Now that's back to that theme. This is Christ announcing, prophesying that God is going to curse this generation because not only have they killed all the prophets before, they're about to have their hands full and covered of the blood of God's only son. They're going to kill the heir. They're going to kill the son. And Jesus says that God's going to destroy these murderers. And he's going to burn their city. The indignation of the king shows us the wrath of God. Yes, he's slow to anger, but he is a God of holy wrath. And as we come to this point in God's dealing with this nation, the time for warnings is over. And isn't that a scary thing? That they're still breathing right now and the warning is done. God has sent it and he's done with it. The sun has come. You've rejected the sun. You persistently rejected the sun. And Jesus says God is about to destroy you. The king will not tolerate being dishonored. There are versions of God that are propagated in our culture that are wrong, wrong, wrong. And you better understand this, that the God of the Bible is a God of holy wrath. He is patient and even full of patience, but there is a moment where there's no more patience and only wrath. And so be warned from this parable that the king, God the father, is a God who will not tolerate being dishonored. And neither will he tolerate his son being dishonored. We see the indignation of the king. And maybe we would be tempted to think, man, everybody that was invited didn't come. And we had this glorious celebration for the honored son. Let's just cancel the wedding. And as we progress to scene three, we see that no matter how many people reject the offer, the wedding must go on. The wedding continues. The banquet table must be filled and the son of the king must be honored. And scene three shows us this, that. That after God judges that first group that rejected the invitation, scene three shows us that that invitation is redirected and rebroadcast, republished to another group in this parable. You see this in verse nine. The king says, go, therefore. And invite to the wedding feast. Wait for it. As many as you find. Invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. In scene three, Jesus describes this indiscriminate invitation to any and to all who will come to the wedding feast of the beloved son. 
And in verse 10, we're told that the servants did just that. They gathered everybody, all they could find. The text says that the servants gather the good and the bad in verse 10. And this doesn't mean that some of this group needed to be saved. They, they were the bad and others in this group didn't need to be saved. They were the good. That contradicts everything the Bible tells us about our natural state apart from Jesus Christ. And what these words mean is that they gathered in some who were notorious sinners. In other words, if you wrote down on a piece of paper, if the king of all kings has a banquet feast, who's the least likely person you would ever dream to see there, fill in the blank. And the servants bring some of those in to the banquet. Some of those in to the wedding feast. Notorious sinners. The parable tells us they're invited to. The prodigals of this world. In the previous chapter, Jesus says prostitutes can enter the kingdom. Anybody can come. Islamic terrorists can enter the kingdom of God. Women who have aborted their children can enter the kingdom of God. Those who have been drunkards for 50 years can enter the kingdom of God if they repent, if they believe, if they come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. They gather the good and the bad. By rejecting the invitation, the first group, the unbelieving Jews, dishonored the Son. Therefore, God says that they will be judged and others will take their place. Listen to Matthew 21, verse 43. Jesus says, the kingdom is taken from you and given to a nation producing its fruit. And this is one of the things that we learn in the New Testament, that God brings a judgment upon Israel. Romans 11 causes a partial hardening. And as that judgment falls upon Israel, the gates of the kingdom are opened wide to the Gentiles, all the nations of the earth. Scene 3 points us to the inclusion of this larger group, the Gentiles. The unlikely ones, those whom you would have never guessed would be there, are invited to the feast. This is one of the difference, differences between the Old Testament and the New as we move out from under the Old Covenant and Jesus secures the New Covenant in His blood is the inclusion of the Gentiles. It's new. It's not like it hasn't always been God's plan. Genesis 12 verse 3 is the prophecy that all the nations of the earth will be blessed in the seed of Abraham. It's always been the plan to bring them in. It's always been the plan to bless every nation in the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. 